Hey, what's up? Hey, we're just restarting. You're in a good Wi-Fi environment, are you? Are you in a good Wi-Fi? Yes. Phone has trouble connecting, and it'll disconnect ever ever so often, but it should be good. Okay, cool. Yeah, if you can be in Wi-Fi instead of LT, that might be better, or whatever one's stronger. <laughs> but let me just start it again. Cause I mean, I could I could link together the last episode. This isn't live. I can string segments. Yeah, but I'll okay. just start it again. So I'll just do a brief introduction, then I'll trim it. So this is Fam Electric Ghost, and we have on the line Smith. Um, show and it's Ezekiel from Schmidt show and um, like I said before we've been interviewing indie artists from around the world since 2018 we've got about 24,000 listeners worldwide and we're happy to have Schmidt show on the on the program tonight hey thanks for having me dude cool it's so the first time I've been on a podcast <laughs> yeah it's a pretty cool world I mean as an indie musician myself I got into this um, because I, I actually was interviewed on a podcast. I actually went and paid to be on a podcast. And then I said, like a couple of years ago, I said, well, that's not cool. Why should I have to pay? Right. Uh, and I love other musicians. I've been talking to musicians around the world. And I say, you know, there's got to be a way to do this where you don't have to charge a musician. Because, you know, musicians have a hard time making money in the first place. <laughs> right. So I said, you know, and then this anchor thing came along and uh, it it has been a a really cool way to get in touch with people in our industry uh, and find out what's going on in all genres. So the first question I always ask is like, when did you first get into music? Like what age? I was about uh, 13 and a half uh, when I first started uh, working on music. Cool. So I... uh... How did you get into it? Were you inspired by somebody in your family or somebody you saw on TV? Well, I grew up around music because my um, my dad was a is a producer for us since he was in his twenties, and he also played for the worship team at my church and everything when I was growing up. And so I was always around it. I had a little bit of knowledge of it, but didn't really get into it until um, when I was trying to become a video game programmer when I was like twelve. I was making little games and stuff like that, and I needed background music. So I figured, well, I don't really have anything that I can put on there, so I'll just make something. So I went to GarageBand, started fiddling with loops, and then my dad got me a piano program to teach me how to play piano, so that way I could learn to uh, how to write my own music. And from there, I started getting like books on music theory and stuff like that. And I just kind of... Kept so on going. have you always been somebody that used like a DAW, like a garage band or use, um, you know, Pro Tools or any of the, you know, digital audio workstations? Or do you um, use like, you know, MIDI keyboards or controllers or how, how do you record your electronic music? Well, I rely heavily on a DAW, but um, I since I do not play the piano a little bit, I'm not the greatest um, of musicians. I'm more of like, I can compose something rather than play it out. Usually I have my MIDI computer, uh, MIDI uh, controller, or um, right now I have my microcord right in front of me and I use that to uh, play in MIDI for what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to write and then I'll go and correct it, you know, at timing or. Hey, so we'll just continue where we were. <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah. So you're the button when I'm yeah, just, messing with my phone. Yeah, keep it hands free from your phone. <laughs> Don't hit the low end. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so we were talking about how you use the micro Korg as your MIDI controller. And you, yeah. use, you still use GarageBand or you use a different DAW? 
I started off with GarageBand, um, and I used that for a couple of years. It's a great, like, you know, beginner's DAW to kind of get you used to the workflow and everything. But my dad had Logic on his computer, and then he let me work on it for a little bit. And I was like, man, I really love this. Yeah, yeah. And so he got me my own copy, and uh, I started working from – I started transitioning slowly from uh, GarageBand to Logic because it, it was a lot harder going from something that was super simple to something that's actually – yeah. really powerful a powerful daw and that took a couple of years but i'm pretty much uh i'll use uh logic pro x these days that's interesting because like I, i'm a, i'm a like you know i'm a keyboardist i'm a modular synthesis so my my whole history of music is i i kind of i'm in my 50s and the new wave movement was like very impressive to me and then i like bands like yes and Genesis and okay. you know so I, I'm a synthesis I have like you know Jupiter's I have profits I've got you know modular modes and so lucky yeah so I grew up you know being impressed with Pete Townsend Keith Emerson Bernie Worrell you know bands like Sunra so I've, I've come from that side I do I, I in this modern era you know from hip-hop musicians to you know EDM artists and DJs you know, the DAW has become an, like an equalizer, allowing producers to get into the game where before you had to have, you know, people had to be musicians. They had, they had to you yeah. know how to play guitar. Most of the bands I, I was started with it back in the day in the eighties were all, you know, guitar based bands. And I would always try to convince them to bring a Roland in. <laughs> and it's hard to get a punk mm-hmm. band to want to have be playing a, a Jupiter. They really like, well, I don't want, right. you know, but I was kind of always a, a big proponent of bands like Joy Division and Depeche Mode and saying that you can be impressive in electronic music. You can be aggressive. You can be like Trent Reznor. You, you can you can show that you can you can hang with the guitar players. I mean, that was the whole idea of what Keith Emerson was able to do. Um, and so electronic music has always kind of pushed the, you know, the limits. I've got sequencers all over the place because I'm a one man band. Um, when I play mm-hmm. live shows, but you know, it is an interesting world. I've tried to stay away from the dog because I'm kind of a purist, but I mean, I, I've been getting closer into it. I've been looking more like Akai's, Akai MPCs, mm-hmm. like forces, things like that, or still kind of a hardware guy. So I kind of am leaning toward like a dollless dog, like an Akai force or an MPC one, things like that. But it's just, I feel that. yeah, just to be able to still control it. <laughs> control freak <laughs> but uh um, yeah, dolls are awesome but they don't have that that um sp- uh, spur of the moment improbability that you do with like hardware where you can adjust settings you know on the go as you're working with it and has that authentic sound rather than something that's sim- like um yeah like made on a computer you know what i mean there's a there's a certain warmth to analogs uh mm-hmm. hardware yeah rather than like a know, jupiter in a mode a simulation yeah, it's like like I was gonna ask you what, what type of sounds you're emulating on some of your like your new album. I was looking at your album, uh, Fractal Flowers, and I was listening to songs like Blue and Drifting Home, and I was like, and I can hear sounds that you know I have modes, I've got profits, I've got ro- real rollers. I was like, oh, so I wonder what you're emulating because I can hear that it could be like a Prophet Five or it could be like a Jupiter one, I mean, a Juno 106. I'm just wondering, like, what type of uh, plugins do you like to use or what, what are you using for your synth sounds? Well, mostly I heavily rely on Omnisphere that I got a few years back because it has a huge library of, like, all of my favorite synths. Like, it has all of, like, the original Rollins, all the 
all the Moogs and all like it even has a couple of the Prophet Five, which sounds so nice. Yeah, on. Prophet Five. But usually I'll the dream set. <laughs> oh, for real. Usually I'll use those as like because I just I can use the the sample sounds mm-hmm. and then I'll start from there and then I'll build from uh, like the original waveform and then build off of those. But typically like Moog or it's the uh, Jupiter. So the Moog, are you talking about like a mini Moog sound or like modular Moog? Like system um, sometimes I use a modular mode when I'm going for more of the um, old school, more experimental sounds, especially on like my more ambient ones. Yeah, because that's that's where the world I'm in is like you know I got a mother 32, a D fam, and a and a grandmother, and they have the spirit of like the system 33s and 55s. Um, if you know what those are, those are the ones that like Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer used, and they have a certain mm-hmm. sound tool that those old type of vcos not the dcos but the you know v uh totally analog oscillators and the the one mm-hmm. thing about those is like when you're doing stuff in the dark and you like cause like the what happens with the mode is when you turn it on it warms up so so it changes what those vcos sound like can you age your your vco emulations can you like age them and detune them and get them to sound like a 72 Moog or are you kind of stuck with what, what the their bass sounds are? On Omnisphere, you kind of can uh, manipulate a little bit, but you can't get the authentic, you know, um, warmth that uh, an analog one has, but it has like an analog um, knob that, you know, you can turn it up or down. It kind of gives, gives similar a feel, yeah, but it doesn't have the same, I don't know. It's, it just yeah. hits your ear different. That's interesting because yeah, I, I do appreciate a lot of the electronic music that you're doing on Fractal. I mean, th- I really like what you're doing there, um, and you know, I'm really listening to Blue a lot. I like I like the sound on that. I've, I've always been a big proponent of um, you know electronic music and 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 people putting it to the long form because you you have an album that's an hour and thirty nine minutes, and I'm very I, I I've always been you know I'm a progressive rocker at heart. You know, like, like mm-hmm. you know, bands like, you know, Genesis, like the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, you know, big rock operas. Um, yeah. That have all these heavy analog synths and Hammond B3s and all this elaborate stuff going on. And I like the fact that you, you kind of have the room in your album to stretch out uh, and do a lot of cool things. It, it, do you find um, in today's world w- with the three minute single, or the two-minute single and Spotify playlist that don't have central themes, um, you're, you're still kind of doing an old form uh, in terms of the way you do your albums. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah I'm, I was very heavily influenced by the concept albums, the like Pink Floyd and stuff. Yeah. Like, I love how they would, like the entire album, each song sounds different, but they always carry a theme that basically tells a story throughout the album. And you oh, yeah. can feel the flow through it. Like, cause I'm someone that listens to music like all day. Cause when I'm at work, I'm a cook. All I have to do really is oh, just okay. chop you up get, stuff and I have the radio you playing. Get the, you put so, your iPod on. <laughs> exactly. I just get on the Bluetooth and I'll hit an album and I'll listen to the thing the whole, all the way through. So I, I do enjoy like, you know, those kind of more poppy, like two, three minute songs, you know, it's kind of gets you, you know, a nice little vibe. But I prefer something that's going to carry me through the day. You know what I mean? Something that, you know, can keep my attention. Yeah. And, you know. It's interesting that you mentioned like, Pink, Floyd, Pink Floyd. I saw a documentary on the dark side of the moon. And, and, and they were talking about, like, 
how they wrote that album. And then I also saw one on Wish You Were Here. And the interesting thing, you know, you got the, you know, the, the Pink Floyd everybody knows is that the Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were mm-hmm. Here, The Wall. Some people don't remember the, the Sid Barrett version. Um, mm-hmm. And some of your music kind of reminds me of some of the Sid Barrett Pink Floyd stuff, which is the earlier stuff. And I do hear, you know, the the one, you know, the, the wall or the, you know, the, the, the version of Pink Floyd that became the popular progressive band where finally a progressive brand broke through, became like mega popular. But when they mm-hmm. started, they were kind of like MGMT, <laughs> where MGMT yes. kind of be like them. Uh, and the Sid Barrett version was really psychedelic, and uh, yes, and I, like I Echoes, hear, one of my I favorite do, favorite yeah, songs. I do, yeah, I do hear some of that. Is, are you more inspired by the Sid Barrett version of the band, or the more, um, you know, the, the version everybody knows? See, I prefer the Sid Barrett version solely because of the um, it was more instrumental feeling. You know what I mean? There was less lyrics. It felt more. Um, the word it, I'm looking for. It's really more. progressive. It's a real a yeah. true progressive rock band. Is which yeah. kind of was the problem with progressive rock bands that they go on stage and do 20 minute songs with time changes and they're in you know maybe turn their back to the audience and focus on the music. And you had to really be a, a, a fan of that. And, you know, weren't a lot mm-hmm. of theatrical things going on other than the fact they were putting all their energy into playing. <laughs> you know, yeah. You ever, you ever saw Yes or Genesis, like the Peter Gabriel Genesis, is very much mm-hmm. the same thing. You know, they got these eight minute, ten minute, twelve minute songs with key changes, and they're they're very elaborate. They're doing things that you wouldn't do in a normal rock song. It's a mixture of jazz, yeah. classical, and rock. And I've always been a big proponent of that. You know, that's where I live in my music, and I do hear that in your music because you'll have songs that are like synth wave or new wave type of songs, but then you have these instrumental songs, like your latest single. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's really cool because I, I like being able to stretch out as a musician and, you know, the progressive exactly. you know, rock form, I think gives you the ability to do that. You know, even though it might Definitely. not be as popular today, but, you know, I do see bands like MGMT, they, they do that, you know, Radiohead, they do that, um, you know, you know, Wilco, they do that. So mm-hmm. you, you do have bands that are able to break through and still keep that tradition. So who would you say are your reference points besides like Pink Floyd? Um, well, for my more electronic, uh, like EDM based stuff, I would say Infected Mushroom and Terrafractal are my two heaviest um, influences. Mm-hmm. Infected Mushroom was the first Psytrance uh, band that I ever listened to. My brother showed it to me you now when I was a kid, and I just fell in love with uh, Psytrance from then because that was the only thing I didn't, I the only type of music I had other than like gospel and some like 70s Christian rock because that's all my dad would let me listen to when I was really little. <laughs> so I didn't have much of a frame of reference to anything that was out in the world besides, you know, I had some folk albums, mm-hmm. I had classical music, and then I had my brother's electronic music. And so Infected Mushroom and Terrafractal were the first ones I started listening to. And Infected Mushroom's more experimental, um, melodic style really caught me. And Terrafractal, he, he um, is a brilliant composer and a classical, uh, classically trained musician. And so he works classical music into his EDM, 
mm-hmm. and it just flows so beautifully and it you know got me more into uh the actual more composing side of music rather than just kind of you know putting nice beats and loops together like a lot of edm artists kind of do yeah, at least it seems, yeah, sounds yeah. like yeah i wouldn't label you an edm you're more like electronic you know experimental electronic psychedelic psytrance which I you mm-hmm. know the synth wave movement because that's the one thing that really killed me as a musician. I went to New York and I played a show in this club, and they were surprised they had all this gear because they think like all electronic musicians just have a CDJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, no, I actually have Moogs and I got a sound check just like any rock band. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it was kind of like you know it, it was back then it was harder. To you know, the the world was changing so much where bands only had to have an SD card and CDJ, um, and didn't really have to have anything else. Um, but now the world's changing. I mean, I just got signed by a booking agent to do the kind of electronic stuff I do, um, and to do live shows and, and and do online shows and stuff. So there is a new, like, seems like people want to see bands that actually go, are going to play full progressive pure you know electronic music started what what you're doing and what i do and a lot of other bands i've interviewed is not what what the djs do not that that's not cool but it's it's a different type of music you want to write songs your your music are songs not just beats or clips strung together Mm -hmm. you're trying to compose a song so what made you want to go that direction when there's so much like uh, a lot of artists that are going like the clip based, pure dance oriented electronic music, what made you want to write songs? I would say it, it came from um, mostly just me doing lots of research. Cause when I first started off, since I didn't know anything about music, I was like, well, if I want to actually learn how to write stuff, I might as well do it the kind of more scientific way and learn like music theory and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw from, and I was learning from there on like, how to actually build like tension and release and how to put emotion into your music. And I was like, Hey, this is way better than just doing that simple ABAB bridge format that a lot of people do. You know, yeah. I wanted to create something that remind me more of like, um, like Vivaldi, you know, with like the four seasons, like it's just four songs, but they're like 12 to 20 minutes long and they evolve and give you a sense of the feeling of the seasons and stuff. Cause uh, my dad was an art teacher, and so I always had art books and philosophy books lying around. So I was always interested by, like, putting meaning into your art and, like, how I could do that as an instrumental um, artist. Because for the longest time, I didn't like the way my voice sounded, so I wouldn't sing or put any of my vocal samples onto my music. So I had to figure another way to put emotion and meaning into my into my music. So you focused on just instrumentals first because you didn't mm-hmm. like your voice? Yeah, I started yeah. that way. It's an interesting story with, with the ghosts. It's like when I first started, all I did was sound paintings. And the idea of a sound painting came from an interview Hendrix had when they asked him about Electric Ladyland, if you've ever heard that album. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of the first examples of a guitar player doing what synthesizer players do. He basically was creating sound paintings and soundscapes with the guitar and effect pedals. And they asked him what it was because they had like ocean sounds and cosmic sounds and birds and all these things. And he said, it's, it's a sound painting. I, I, I create sound paintings. I see music as pictures and painting. And I, th- I always took that and said, you know, that's what a lot of electronic musicians do. Um, mm-hmm. 
definitely, and I, definitely. Yeah, and I and I think that, that when you do when you when you go to at music like that, I was trained on the clarinet, classically trained on the clarinet, but then I realized I can't really write a whole song on the clarinet. It's kind of hard. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I got into synthesizers because then I I, would, I was in bands and I would play keyboards with bands, but then it's like I wanted to be able to write for the band because I, I was a songwriter, you know, and I, I, so I just started getting like, you know, synthesizers. I found an old, like beat up mini moog, and then I found like, you know, uh, a couple of like beat up rolls and um, I fixed them because I'm a, an IT guy myself <laughs> and I mm-hmm. started being able to write all the parts. I could do bass lines, I could do drum lines and I could still compose and I have a big sense of music history uh, and, you know, from Dylan to, you know, Coltrane to Johnny Cash. I like everything, every genre. I feel it. And so I just, you know, was just drawn to the way, you know, Bob Dylan's one of the greatest songwriters ever, greatest lyricist, maybe not the best voice, but a lyricist. Definitely, and, you know, definitely. Like Pete, Pete Townsend approached synthesizers in a way that no one ever even thought to with songs like Barbara O'Reilly or, you know, even like um, Who Are You? Uh, the, the mm-hmm. techniques he does electronically were like way ahead of what other musicians were doing um, with envelope followers and all kinds of cool stuff he would do on, on the ARP 2600. And it's just the idea of, um, you know, electronic music is that you push the envelope, but you, you do want to construct these sound hands. You know, you do want to construct mm-hmm. these ambient concepts uh, that go back, you know, bands like Tangerine Dream. And, I love Tangerine Dream so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, it, that idea, you know, if you get the craft work and... Uh, yes, yeah, yes. Brian Eno's work with Bowie uh, on Low and Heroes and stuff like that. It's just the kind of advanced um, thinking in music has always been where I've been drawn to. So I'll be drawn to a Hendrix or drawn to a Bernie War or drawn to Sun Ra or drawn to Coltrane, what they do, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. I just think... Uh, a lot of people in today's world, they, they was always, it's all about beats or clips or, or samples. And they kind of lost what made Sgt. Pepper's a great album, what made The Wall a great album. You know, the, mm-hmm. it made the, you know, Lifehouse, which became Who's Next. It was going to be another rock album. And it, he couldn't finish it. Um, but but the idea, you know, I grew up listening to Tommy's my first rock opera. And I said, wow, that's amazing. Like, they, they actually is a story. And I just got drawn into that. Um, and so that my whole career has been doing, trying to replicate <laughs> Quadrophenia or Tommy in different ways. <laughs> um, but, um, or be inspired by it. Um, so, so it's interesting. You've talked about rock operas and your albums, like I said, are, are, are pretty expansive. Um, so you were drawn into the composition from music theory, which is really interesting because you don't really hear a lot of musicians actually talk about that. <laughs> uh, they either kind of just kind of wing it or or they kind of feel it or they don't get into that and so that's interesting that you you took it from that point of view which is actually really cool yeah I, I kind of I've I got to a point where um like I learned everything I could from music theory like on kind of the mathematics of like fourths and fifths and going up the circle of all that shit sorry didn't mean to cuss yeah, okay. um that's okay <laughs> but <laughs> But um, also, I got. I think I've gotten to the point where I can kind of feel like here. I I know this. Like I'll. I want to put on. So there's a C. I want to do a. Um, I want to go up to a, a D sharp, and then I'm going to hit this note, and so that way I can create a certain feel. 
Like I can do that automatically without having to think about it as much, but I still kind of rely on like trying to, I don't know, put some more um, kind of like the physics aspect of it. Cause our brains like react to certain sounds and things in a certain way to where, yeah. you know, that's how you can create emotion through music. And it's just specific formulas that you oh, got to yeah. hit to be able to hit that sound in your head. Yeah. I've been getting into, um, some new ideas like subharmonics, like it's mm-hmm. like whole, whole theory of like subharmonic theories, right? And Mo just came out with this brand new instrument that's based on like the trotonium and the rhythmicon. And it's the mathematics of subharmonics and how you can do mm-hmm. subdivisions. And they their brand new synthesizer. It's a subdivision monster. It just does all these strange subdivision. It has like two main oscillators and four sub oscillators. And it has Ooh. all these strange non-Western scale capabilities. It can do a Western Ooh, scale. That sounds it good. Do, it can do all this other stuff. And so it can do this strange timing and all these like subdivisions between these like multiple sequencers that seem limiting because they're only four-step sequencers. But because you can do the subdivisions and you can keep on breaking it down and, and, and spreading it out, you can even though it seems like it doesn't have an advanced modern sequencer, it's not 128 step, it's not 256, it's only two, four. With two, four mm-hmm. step sequencers on an analog machine that has sub-oscillators. So it, it's got two main oscillators and four sub-oscillators and it can do all this strange, uh, you know, modulation and subdivision that is like crazy. You can create rhythms that are like, you know, is this, you know, it, it's something that I'm, I've been driven into because I, I just love the complexity of what you can do with some of this, this these type of, you know, systems. And, For real. And I, I have think, to check that out. Yeah, just check it. There's like, there's Loop Pop, who's one of the big YouTubers, has a really good review of it that goes into the science of it and how it works. Um, it's pretty cool. You can get into it. But um, yeah, I mean, that's been the whole thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an IT guy. Well, I am an IT guy. And I happen to be a musician, but electronic musicians have always kind of been the, the mixture of science and art and mathematics. Exactly. And that's what synthesizers can do. <laughs> you know, it's a, you, it's, you, it's a bridge between those worlds. Yeah. And, and you can be very creative. I mean, you can be, you know, Keith Emerson was you know, a, a master of modular sense. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of him at, you know, in New York with these big, gigantic moats these system 55s there's nothing but like cb wires all over him and he had this big gigantic stack and he would be able to make you know crazy modulation you know just it just like it looks like like a science experiment <laughs> and that that's what always drew me into electronic music and strangely that kind of got put into your laptop what he used to, mm-hmm. be able to do with these big modulars but you know what you kids are doing on their laptops is what he used to be able to do with that stuff it would mean to equalize it where, you know, his, his rigs were like, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in the 70s. And now you have some of the same capabilities on a laptop. So that kind of equalized uh, the access to that kind of technology, which I think is really cool. Because then I get to talk to bands all over the world that are now have the capability of doing synthesis that used to be kind of the gate was he had to be a Keith Emerson. He had to be a Pete Townsend. He had to be a Bernie Wall. He had to be a Herbie Hancock to get to a, you know, Jupiter eight or an Mm R. 
2600, you know, or, or CS80. You, you couldn't get these things unless you were in the game. <laughs> yeah. So maybe talk about your, um, what you call your writing style. I know you, in your write up, you talk about it being psychedelic, um, but maybe you could talk about how you look at your album, Fractal Showers. How, what would, how would you describe uh, what genres that covers and what the feeling is for that whole project? I would say um, for for um, the Fractal Showers album, it was very heavily influenced by like Solar Fields and you know Connect Dot Ohm and a lot of Sibian ambient um, artists that I was listening to at the time. Because um, what I consider the purpose for that album is it's um, a storytelling of uh, psychedelic experiences that I've gone through, as well as like the longer tracks or for like people to mix in to like whatever they're listening to while they're also having an experience themselves, you know, some maybe that, you know, help them calm down if they're going through a hard trip or whatever. But I would say is it's more of a, it's the vocal uh, tracks are like a blend of explaining how I felt and some of the um, ideas and philosophies that came to me while I was, you know, uh, you know, tripping balls. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's but, kind of um, like, you know, Sgt. Pepper's is, you know, the kind of experience of psychedelic to the mainstream, you know, you know, that whole idea. Lucy and Sky had diamonds and the whole psychedelic, you know, what the Beatles did with Sgt. Pepper, they kind of yes. created that psychedelic rock. And then you get, you know, the mood. And I was mood, trying to get like know, a like a blend of psych, like original psychedelic rock, like I did with the song Astral, where it's just a bass, a guitar, drums and my vocals. Mm hmm. Um, and a bunch of effects and then some more of the uh, kind of some of the kind of an MGMT type feel, especially with like Forgotten Agape and stuff like that. Kind of more pop, uh, yeah, pop psychedelic. Like album kind of feel, you know, they were really yeah. kind of channeling Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd. Even their second exactly, album yeah. was really channeling Sid Barrett, even more so than the first. First was more like New Wave. Like, mm -hmm. and the second album is more uh, that is really more like a Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett album. Every time I listen to it, I say, that's really, they really must love Sid Barrett because the whole album <laughs> channels that that version of Floyd. And I do hear that in your music too. I do hear that a lot, which is, is cool because I don't know if all the kids today, you know, Sid Sid's music is kind of like Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground, you know, or, mm -hmm. or, Alex, or Alex Chilton and Big Star. It's kind of like this, a lot of artists, know what it is but i don't think there's a lot of people that actually listen to it i mean i think the people that yeah. listen to it end up becoming famous you know members of bands <laughs> yeah <laughs> created tons of bands but i don't know how many actual fans actually bought those records <laughs> for real yeah so it's interesting sometimes it's like the, the very important bands didn't really sell a lot <laughs> yeah I, i've noticed that especially lots of um lots of artists that i've listened to they're like I'm, I'm like oh my god how do these people not have more listeners how are they not more mainstream then i realize it's kind of more artsy fartsy type music not everyone's gonna want to pop it on like their yeah. car while they're driving down the road but for me it's like i can listen to this all day how how are they not more famous yeah, you know? I mean, I, yeah, I grew up, you know, loving like the Velvet, the Velvet Underground. I, I went and got all their records and I, I read all about their history with Andy Warhol. And it was just very, and the thing about the Velvets, they really inspire like punk, like, or what became alternative music. 
I mean, bands like R.E.M., mm-hmm. Smashed and Pumpkins, Pearl Jam. I mean, all that grunge, all that alternative rock, it all comes from, like, what Lou did with Lou Reed did with the Velvets. And uh, it's just interesting. I mean, they, they were just such an iconic band, and they had this kind of punk aesthetic. But it had also this very um, eclectic kind of art rock because they were working mm-hmm. with Warhol. So they were working mm-hmm. with Warhol, and they had this visual stuff going on. And then they had this kind of very esoteric stuff going on. And Bowie really jumped onto it. And Bowie kind of took what Lou had done and made it work commercially. <laughs> um, and that, that was always surprising. Like, there's, okay, so all these ideas that Lou had in 66 and 67, Bowie in the 70s actually got it to work. Um, mm-hmm. It made it more theatrical and was just had a, had, he had a voice that was like, you know, superior to what Lou's voice. Like, Lou is more like a Dylan, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Bowie had this range in his voice and he had that whole persona that he was able to do all this theatrical stuff that kind of pushed that velvet stuff into a whole different zone, which is, you know, it was progressive rock and art rock and theatrical, but it had like this this kind of punk bones from what Lou Reed had been doing. Yeah. So do you... um? Do you actually play live shows with your stuff, or are you primarily like, uh, like a like a social me- media uh, streaming service type of band, like a bedroom producer, or do you actually do shows? I I would love to do shows at some point. I was looking forward to getting into a few places around here this year, and then COVID hit. <laughs> oh, so you you were getting ready to try to get out there. Yeah, and then you know, so all my plans for this year kind of got shut down. So I just went heavily into uh social media trying to spread my music through you know instagram and stuff like that so how because that's the pre- easiest way to communicate so how are you going to present yourself as as, a, as your project were you going to use like like uh some kind of um controller like like in a kai mpc or like a novation grid or how are you going to do your work live did you have a have you figured out what you were going to do how are you going to present your music and play it well i was thinking more um along the lines for like for my first shows and stuff like that um be playing more like my electronic stuff so i'd basically just be like doing uh djing uh, i was going to get a um was it the pioneer how was the name of it was but it's the, it's one of the uh, oh. yeah i was going to get a cdj cuz i was going to play some shows and then this all happened and then rent hit when my hours get got cut so i had to use all the extra money that i'd saved up for equipment and stuff like that to pay rent so that was a bit of a bummer <laughs> yeah but, interesting. Uh, yeah so you were gonna be a one-man show you weren't gonna have like a full band your whole idea was still just gonna be like you you were gonna run yeah. it like, as a solo artist right mm-hmm. that's interesting because yeah, the one thing is like i've seen a lot of bands there's some new technology out there now that allows you to even pioneer has like grid based controllers they have these big grids right so you can use the grid to launch your clips but then you can also use the grid to play notes and then you can mm-hmm. use the grid to trigger things so if you're presenting it it's a little more dynamic than just a cdj because you can actually mm-hmm. play play it you know like kai has the mpc one they've got you know, like uh the uh, the the Kai Force they've got MPC Live and it allows you to like link to like Ableton or any other DAW 
and then actually control what you're playing. You're not kind of stuck in, in a CDJ world. You can actually integrate modular gear. You can integrate like another hardware. Yeah, I've, yeah I've been totally, th- I've been thinking about that lately because especially the way that I create my uh, sounds and loops and stuff like that for my music, I can easily create something like maybe get like machine or something like that and be able to, yeah, you know, yeah, I already yeah. have the song structure in my head, but be able to play it out as I go. Yeah, you know, and then might swap some instruments. Yeah, for your in, for your audience, and if you're not like a primary keyboardist, these grid-based systems like you know Novation and Akai and and all these companies that make these, you know, even Roly, they make these interesting, you know, controllers that that allow you to launch your clips and to actually even play chords and play notes and kick off samples and run drum machines. It, it, you know, I've been looking at like the Akai Force which has like song creation modes. It doesn't just do clips. You can actually build songs. Ooh, like, nice. Like, and it's like a dollless controller, right? That allows you to have, like it's got synth engines built into it. It's got drum machines built into it. It's got samples in it. And then it's got CV connections. So I can link my mode to it. So I could take one of my modes, like my grandmother and bring it and bring my vocoder and maybe bring, you know, one of my Rollins, but then have that be my central control unit as a one-band band. I could be launching like 808s and 727 drum machines and samples mm. and whole song structures and then have my whole set in this machine instead of a, a computer. Because it's like, a, instead, the one thing about computers I, I don't like when I go on the road is they, sometimes they crash. Sometimes For real. Yeah, so when I've been more of a hardware guy, I'll go with sequencers. I got like an Arturia Beatstep Pro. For the last couple of years, I've run used that as my central controller, which allows me to have something that's a hardware-based controller, and it, I can just have projects on it, and I can go and have all these sequence drum lines and bass lines that I can control with foot pedals and other controllers, but I can override them. I can always just kick off new ones, and I can do stuff live. And so it gives me some kind of dynamic control that if I feel like playing like like a, a true musician, I can like, take my song, I can just play it the way I wrote it, or I could take it and mute and unmute tracks and play over tracks and do whatever mm-hmm. I want. And so it gives the, the audience something that feels more like a live performance, which I think some people like that. Some people don't. <laughs> some people want I, to I really it. love that type of stuff, especially have you ever watched Reggie Watts? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I love the because um, usually he he just seems to have just that one uh, looper and that synth and the synthesizer that he works with, but he can still create so much uh, a, such a dynamic type of show out of just these simple sounds and things like that that he can um, manipulate to where to where he can be just basically a one man orchestra, and that's yeah. something I would like to work up to in like once I can get more equipment and stuff like yeah, that, because I mean, I'm practicing as much as I can for, you know, like piano and stuff like that to get better. But at the same time, I won't be able to really do stuff like that till I have the equipment to practice with too. Well, the so. traditional controllers really give you the ability to do electronic music like a DJ, but then they give you the ability to riff, you know, so mm-hmm. you can, you can, you can use those grids if you ever see the MPCs. You know, rappers have used MPCs for years. You know, Kanye West used them. You know, a lot of big famous rappers back in the day, they used them. Because it was able to, they didn't want to have to sample everything. 
And mm-hmm. you know, they, they, did, they did have sandwich, but they could build their own beats and then launch them and do live shows with, you know, and not have to depend on, on, a, on a DJ. Uh, and it's still, you know, even with electronic music, the, the, this whole dollless movement, which is a lot of gear out there now, triggered for dollless producers that allow us to bring that on the road. And you, know, you don't have to be the best keyboards in the world. You don't have to be a Bernie Warhol. You don't have to be a Stevie Wonder. And you can still be an electronic musician and, and, and riff and, and do something different and still have your structure, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. It just gives the, the audience a better show, in my opinion. But um, I totally understand. That's why, like, whenever I, I, I do appreciate the art form it takes to, like, DJ and stuff like that, but when I watch DJs that uh, don't, like, have, like, a visual or something kind of going on, it's kind of, like, almost like, hey, man, I couldn't <laughs> – kind of do that at home as well. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's I, more I, just I, like I listening to music rather than a show aspects. Like there's less. Well, um, you know, in order to have the to it. it's more like a club, you know, it's like if you're doing a show for, for the dance hall crowd that wants to hear the beat, they're going mm-hmm. to hear that consistent beat. And you're kind of like, you could be on autopilot. You can have everything kind of set together on main stage or Ableton live and you don't really have to have a lot of interaction with your with your set list. You can, and what you see a lot of them doing is just jumping up and down. Um, yeah, and and it's and and the audience doesn't care because it sounds good, because you can sound perfect. But the problem is, like you know, I grew up in the days of watching, like going to an Allman Brothers concert, or actually I saw mm-hmm. the Who three times. I, I saw Parliament Funkadelic. You know, I yeah. wanted to go see Herbie Hancock. And I'm, I have, I kind of, I don't want to be a jerk, but it's like, I, I like to hear like real musicians. <laughs> and is there something about if you go and see Pete Townsend actually play, right? Or you see Herbie Hancock actually play, play, play that Moog. Or, or exactly. There's something about that, that. That's, that's the whole thing. And I understand kids today, you can do it without that. But there's something missing to me because I grew up with it. So maybe you, they yeah, never you lose the soul it. of it. Yeah, but people have you ever like yeah? I mean, you want to hear somebody do the song a little different. I don't necessarily yeah. want to hear it the same way. I don't want to hear "Rocket" by Herbie Hunk. I don't need to hear it exactly the way he wrote it. And actually, like yeah, because you can just go get the album and listen to that. There's no point of going to a show. Yeah, yeah, and I think some kids have maybe lost that, or they don't care about that they just want to hear what they heard on the radio and that's you know that's what they want but it's not the same as what i grew up you know going to shows and seeing you know rbm play their band play the album you know different differently i mean that that's part of the whole point of music (laughs) exactly um have you ever heard of uh no no what who, who are they where are they from um, he's a UK producer, but he does all of his shows live with a bassist and a drummer. And his yeah, stuff is I like that, I like that idea. Amazing the way he flows from sound to sound to sound, just using a keyboard and a uh, just very simple setup. Well, relatively simple, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't uh, have to be that complicated. I mean, you could go out with a Hammond B3. And, or an electric organ like the doors and that that's pretty you, know, you don't have to you know you could just do that i mean people people are so caught up in some of this other stuff today but yeah i mean i always liked you know three-piece bands 
you know, power exactly, bands, yeah, or or four piece bands that they are very simple, <laughs> but could do really amazing things, you know. And it's just people have kind of lost the idea that you know, rock kind of died. Uh, you know, it'll come back, but it's um, we're in an age where people don't feel you need to have a rock band to be a band. You know, you can mm-hmm. just come out with a turntable and a sequencer or your MIDI controller and that's it. Um, but yeah. you know, there's always going to be a place for bands that want to do more than that and want to present. So, I mean, what are your ideas about like um, the collaborating with other artists? I always ask people like, have you, are you just in the stage where you're still forming your band or you want to, because what I see today, there's so many bands that have features. They, they, you know, whether they're a rock band and they bring a rapper in, or they're hip hop artists and they bring a rock, you know, somebody in. It, it is all this kind of cross collaboration, you know, jazz artists working with rappers. And, Honestly, uh, I have I have a lot of trouble collaborating with people unless because nowadays most of like most people that offer to collaborate with me are like cities that are like across the country or the world, and mm-hmm. so it's harder for me to work on by like making a little section sending it waiting for them to send it back i just lose motivation and interest almost immediately but like if i'm actually working on i got a little band with my uh friend nate he's uh still learning guitar and stuff like that but he has a huge musical knowledge and stuff like that so when me and him work on ideas together we come up with some amazing stuff that you know still working on haven't released any of it yet but it's really good because it's I can work with someone if they're right there with me. I can flow with them, but yeah, I yeah. can't like write a song where it's like, okay, I need you to c- create the kick in the bass and then uh, email it to me and I'll work on it tomorrow. It doesn't really work yeah. like that for me because I have to be like, okay, well, what key are you feeling? What, what are you doing right now? You know, like, what do you, do you like this little bit? I need like info as I'm going rather than, you know, wait a week to hear back from someone that, oh yeah, I got yeah. that baseline done. That's what I did. I did a long range project back in 2017 called Two Infinitum with an artist named Alter Control K. And I was in a pure like analog setup and they were in an FL studio. The only thing that kind of made it, made it work was for some reason we were very much in sync with what our musical taste. So mm-hmm. I, I would send some Moog demo and then she would just take it and do the vocals over it and she would just like you know she had she was really in tune with what i was doing so she would just suddenly just riff over it or create something over it and we would immediately have like a skype and talk about it and we had immediate feedback right i wasn't waiting like like a day you know two hours later or the next day she would we'd go back and and adjust it. So if you have a relationship with somebody like that, if, you, if you're kind of like so, musical soulmates, it, it, when you send it, they kind of know what to do with it, and then you communicate, it can be done. Yeah, I yeah exactly. And, and, and they were taking too long, and then they were being really kind of anal about it, about where they wanted the kick, and where they want this, and where they want that. And then I, I did lose interest because they were being kind of like, well, you're, you're like taking all the life out of the recording. <laughs> For real. So it's all- like, okay, you know, so if it works, you know, you have to have that kind of with musicians, it's like, you know, it's a feel. You gotta feel that you like sync up with another person. And when you do it live, you know that. You know, what you exactly. Yeah, you, you you can and it's harder to do that online, but it's possible if you really sync with somebody. But 
it's mm-hmm. rare. I mean, it's probably a lot harder. I haven't found somebody else like that in three years. <laughs> no, I totally <laughs> feel that. Yeah. Especially so, what I, you said about like seeking musical style wise. I totally feel that because a lot of people that like the last like, hey, man, you want to collab or something like that? Or, you know, I'll try working on something with them. They come from like a purely electronic um, musical background where I honestly barely listen to electronic music as much as I used to. Mostly I listen to like lots of classic rock, lots of lots of tool for some reason. I just know. I don't know. why I just really like yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I, I get and what you're saying. Just different <laughs> genres besides like electronic music is only a small part of my musical taste rather than the entirety of my style. You know what I mean? Well, so it's hard for me to work with someone yeah. when they're just wanting just to put out, you know, kind of like just bangers, you know? But the problem I have with some of the kind of musicians is that, you know, in this age compared to the old age, you know, when you said you were electronic before, you're like Keith Emerson and you're doing a 20 minute solo, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and today you got somebody that's doing like an EDM song. They got the drop and they're very, very, kind of locked into their genre. You know, mm-hmm. Chance has got they're locked into, you know, side chance is this and you know, all the different different variations of electronic music today, they get really hung up and very anal about the the, the structure. And if somebody yes. says if somebody says, oh maybe we should you know bring a jazz phrasing into something, right? Like me, or I'll go bring a classical phrase into something, or I'll bring a rock, a punk rock thing into something. And yeah, like, well, that didn't really go. And I was like, well, I'm trying to do something different. And yeah, it, it, not, it might actually work same. better. It just is not the same formula that it's used to produce that style. Yeah, like, yeah, especially. Like, they can't do it. They won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like when I'm scrolling through Instagram and I hear like lots of really well produced, sounds really good, but very cookie cutter like EDM or Psytrance songs. Because yeah, they, they, they're always stuck in the same mode. You got the drum roll, you got the build up. Oh, here's the drop, and then oh, there's the, just the bass and the kick, and that that's kind of like the same thing you hear in every twenty other songs. That's yeah, why, like, I'm... I have a tendency to not put in drops and stuff like that, just out of a almost a loathing of them. Um, not well, because of, like, of like what they are, but because of how overused they are these days. Well, it becomes like a disco formula, you know. It dies yes. for a reason. It, it dies. Yes. You know, genres die for a reason. If you overdo the drop, it's the whole thing's gonna drop. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, exactly. My, my whole my whole opinion with like electronic music, like I said, I I grew up, you know, with Yes and Genesis, and you know, t- t- you know, Tangerine Dream, and what Sun Ra was one of the first jazz bands to use Mobs. And they did all these big soundscapes and these really, you know, and the jazz has always been a big influence when I try to talk to some other musicians when I'm talking to them. Listen to this jazz piece. I'll, I'll, I'll give them something from like Sunrod Jazz and Silhouette. It's like a bebop record, but it's got all these really interesting horn parts, very elaborate uh, layer of very complicated counter rhythm, rhythms and counter melodies. And mm-hmm. I've shown them like, this is where you could go. This is very yes. complex. And then when they come to me with these very simplistic EDM things, I'm like, that's, you're not going as far as you could go. And, and, and you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta be more open to like, maybe we should go off and then come back and go off and come back or maybe change the time, change the key. And they get, yes. so, oh, my, my, my Ableton told me it was the wrong key. It's like, I, I purposely changed the key. 
Right. I, I, per- I purposely dropped it down from 120 down to 40 BPM and then came back because I exactly. wanted to sound different. <laughs> it's 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 an expressionism through sound, you know, yeah. where where actually you're experimenting, you're trying out new ideas, you're trying to find something that hasn't been created before. You're trying to paint a picture in people's minds that they haven't heard. Oh, which yeah, a lot they lose sight people. of the ex- experimental yeah. uh, side of music. Well, my whole thing is, I say, if you slow something down from 120 or 160 BPM down to 40 or 60, then mm-hmm. you can bring in harmonics. You can bring in mm-hmm. subharmonics. You can bring in like reverbs. You can bring in digital delays. You can bring in analog delays, and you can just hold a note and then fool around with the feedback. And you can oh my do gosh, yeah, atmospheric things that if you're going too fast, you can't do that. And it's mm-hmm. like you got and to me, it's like sometimes the music, it's the silence, and what you do definitely, with that silence, definitely. And when you're stuck on these really fast beats, you can't do that. You don't have no room to do that. And I, you know, I have some of my songs are like 60 BPM, you know, 40 BPM, 20 BPM, you know, because I go mm-hmm. there. Uh, and and yes. in trying to get people to agree with that, you know, there's a lot of people. Well, that's not a banger. Well, you know, it's not supposed to be. <laughs> but but there's a why isn't it? It's a, well, because I didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, but um, exactly, I have um, in one of my albums that's uh, it's called Evolution of Thought. It's actually one song. It's like an hour long that I split up into seven bits because it well, like that's, each that's very progressive. <laughs> yeah, each each seven minutes goes up a it goes up a uh, one key in the scale, but um, where is it going with that? Yeah. Oh yeah, but I, I I fiddle a lot with tempo in it because I was listening to a lot of uh, what's called high tech um, back at that at that time, and it, that's usually like around one eighty to one twenty uh, or to two twenty BPM. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I was listening to a lot of reggae stuff, so I was going I switched from going at like. 160 at one point where I raise up the tempo slowly, give the nice tension, you know, build it and then release and go to 80 BPM and start a whole reggae part of the song where it goes on that kind of vibe for the next two minutes. Instead yeah, of just like, yeah, always yeah. bring, you know, just making it faster and making it trying to pump people up. You got to have that tension and release of, you know, time to give people like a chance for their brains to relax and soak up the sound. Well, that's where you, you get a band like um, like The Clash. And when they, they went from being punks to doing an album like Sandinista, they brought mm-hmm. in reggae rhythms, hip-hop rhythms, you know, new wave rhythms. And they were a punk band. That's a punk band. Yeah. One of the foundational punk bands. But Sandinista is now a punk record. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's a very eclectic record. It's got hip-hop on it. It's got funk in it. It's got all these different forms. And, and I'm always showing people, it's like, you look at that album and tell me that you're just going to stick to like, mm-hmm. 160, you know, 220 BPM. It's like that. That's not how you, how you you shouldn't be locked into that. I mean, the class weren't locked into that. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so that's why I, I, I always like will we'll hand like a, re- a reference to like something when I'm working with somebody. It's like, why don't you listen? You know, jazz and silhouette. You know, why don't you go listen to Bitches Brew? Why don't you go? I'll give somebody like a piece to listen to. And then I was like, well, you know, that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah. And, I'll, uh, I'll send you a, a link to the song that I worked on with my friend because he did the exact same thing for me. He gave me he gave me echoes 
and he gave me um, was it chocolate chip trip from Tool. He said he had me listen to those two songs first, and then he came over to my house and we started working on music. And I just I was listening to those on repeat, and the song we came uh, that we came with, up with afterwards was pretty much what was in his mind because he knew how to find the references that would give me the ability to hear the sounds that he wanted, you know? Yeah. That's it's, the thing I love about the old producers you know, in the old world um, mm-hmm. be- before we all became indie, right. And our own mm-hmm. producers, you know, the George Martins of the world, the great, you know, producers like the Brian Eno's of the world, they would challenge the musicians and say, yeah, here you came, you brought me this demo. But if we, we, you know, we use a beetle chord, which is, you know, the kind of concept of like, you just take that kind of bass kind of chord that would make it like a normal rock song and you open it up to a more complicated chord structure and then it opens up the feeling of the song and then you, you know, the use of silences, the use of effects, the backward tape looping in the studio as, a, as, a, as an instrument. You know, everybody has DAWs now, they can do that stuff, but then they tend to still do very simplistic stuff. When you For real? Do, you could go and be like Phil Spector. You could go be like you know, like uh, Brian Wilson. And so my whole thing is like that music history is like, you look at Brian Wilson did with Pet Sounds. I mean, when you look at like Wilco did with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, uh, you know, you look at these great albums and that, it's really cool. Like when you're working with musicians, I think like what, what we just said is like, if, if somebody gives you where their head's at by giving mm-hmm. you the reference point, that is probably the best way to communicate as a musician, like a painter will probably refer you to a painting if you're working with yeah. them to go look at some great painting and say, you know, look at Van Gogh and look at this. Um, you know, you don't want to be a big head, but it's just like, you know, you were trying to, to, to kind of get the feeling, you know, and it's not that you're going to be Jimmy Page or you're going to be Brian Wilson or you're going to be Robert Plant or you're going to be any of these people, but it, it's not a bad idea to have, have some reference points to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. So that way you have at least kind of a loose thought of like, this is what the sound should be like, or how I like the way he like put his soul into like this solo or and such, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, now you're going you're to do note for note what Brian Wilson did, but to kind of get the feeling. Yeah, you, you can capture the emotion of it. Yeah, the emotion of it and the feeling of what you can do if you try to really well compose something. And composing doesn't have to be super tight, classically trained, you know, you know, musical theory. You can go mm-hmm. into something and just try to find the honesty. I mean, I've been very big proponent of punk bands, you know, like Green Day and the Sex Pistols and, you know, uh, a lot of SST stuff like Who's to Do and the Replacements and, and the Buzzcocks mm-hmm. and all these, the Ramones, because of the honesty, you know, Nirvana. I mean, Kurt Cobain was a great musician he might not be jimmy page but it was the honesty that he had and exactly in the punk aesthetic that's beautiful and he could go and then suddenly go from this real heavy punk thing to do something acoustic that had Mm -hmm. like with like john lennon i mean he had a lot of raw power and emotion and when he even toned it down it was still there Um, yes and that's why i think that people gotta understand that you don't have to be the best guitarist but if you go into, you don't have to be the best keyboardist or producer, but if you take some music that you're doing and you put your heart and soul in it, people 
we'll, we'll appreciate it. You don't have to have a perfect pitch. You don't have to be Mariah Carey. You don't have to be Frank Sinatra. But if you yeah. come into it with honesty in your heart, you don't have to have perfect pitch. You can, you can still carry it off. You could still create a hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause people, people respond to the fact that you're being genuine, that you're being yourself. You're not trying to be fake or do anything, you know, that you're not, you're actually just putting who you are into this uh, form of sound. Yeah. I mean, that's where people would like become themselves. You know, Michael Stipe is not the technically the best singer in the world, but he, you know, REM became a household name because he, mm-hmm. be, he became, he believed, started to believe in his, himself. He believed in his art and he created like, you know, the college radio format. They created, they gave a lot of indie bands a lot of weight because they were able to, to create a new sound. You know, the way you 2 made a new sound. And they didn't even know how to play. You know, they, they became great players, but they didn't know what they were doing when they first started. And yeah. it was because they believed in what they were doing. that everybody started to believe that. And then they, then they believed themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's how it can be. So you, can, you don't have to be the best musician in the world. You just have to be dedicated. Exactly. So, so, um, what are your thoughts on like where are you gonna go like in this Corona age? Like, how are you gonna uh, push your music and your social media strategies? I always like to ask about that. Honestly, well, le- recently I've been uh, starting up Patreon and stuff like that because as nice as it is to release music through labels and stuff like that, I found a lot of the work I'm pretty much doing myself when it comes to regards of since I'm. You know, I'm a small producer. I'll admit, I'm not. I'm not the greatest or really big right now. So I have to do a lot of the promo, a lot of the social media, all that stuff by myself. So I figure, why go through a label and then have to wait for them to, you know, go through all the steps of, you know, mastering and all that stuff when I can literally hire my friends to do all that and like the artwork for me, and then release it on my own Patreon and be able to sell my music directly to the people for a cheaper than they'd be able to buy the album if the label was to try to sell it. You know what I mean? Because right now I'm doing a thing where I put up a song per week, you know, it's only three bucks on my Patreon. So that way, you know, you're already paying for less than a song than you would normally on iTunes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And it's always going to be fresh stuff. So it's, it's like a subscription service to where you're always getting new music. So that's what I'm trying to kind of push for right now. That and Bandcamp, you know, SoundCloud, had, like, because I've been on SoundCloud a long time, I got to be in a situation where SoundCloud's operating kind of like Bandcamp now. And, mm-hmm. um, and they actually have, for a certain tier of the SoundCloud artists, I've been on the platform since like 2008. And I, I hit enough numbers that I got their, 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 their distribution deal. But now my stuff just goes to all the streaming sites from SoundCloud. Nice. And so from there... You know, I, I, I do I do this stuff. I do an influence marketing and I get more money from my influence marketing <laughs> than yeah. I from, from my other stuff. And then this podcast brings in money. And I finally, I just got signed. I was on a label in New York, but, it, you know, they put out tons of my music, but we really didn't make any money. I was on the label. Um, now, I feel now actually, yeah, I mean, it, it was cool. I, I got like 40 songs they put out. I was putting out like a song a week. <laughs> um, I feel it, man. And I still, I still have a deal where I get, you know, like eighty percent of the money from those songs forever. Um, nice. And so, so if I ever kick anything 
from my newer stuff, then it will it will push toward that. But I just signed with like the Swedish label for like a three song EP, and um, you know that's the way the world is. I mean, they, the way the industry. I do my own stuff like on SoundCloud. I'll do stuff on Bandcamp. I I do stuff like all over the place because I'm just crazy. I write all the time, and so I've got projects, like. you know, going all over the place. Um, but that's this kind of like you know, you just kind of like an old <laughs> Motown guys. We've it's like we're just gonna put everything out we can. <laughs> I, I totally feel that though, because like, I feel like I write faster than the labels can put out stuff for me. Because like half the time I'm just sitting on music, waiting for them to release something, and then I have to wait again, you know, for a long time for them to release like the next EP. Oh, just because, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I got this label in Europe. I just do one song for them a year because all that's all they can handle. But I can't wait. So, so, but they'll tell me like, well, don't put all your other stuff out. Give a, like when this comes out, don't put any of your indie stuff out for like two weeks before and two weeks after. I said, fine. He's like, okay, you tell me when you're going to put it out. And then two weeks before I won't put anything out and two weeks after I won't put anything out, but that's it. Because I, I go, I'll put something on Bandcamp or put it on SoundCloud. I'll go put it on some other platform. I just, I just don't care. Cause that's like, I write all the time. And, and I totally and feel just, that. And I, I do influence marketing and I do like, you know, uh, you know, sync licensing. And because, you know, electronic musicians, we can do stuff for advertising. I can do a 30 second jingle on my Moog and sell it and make more money on that than as the ghost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but, you know, that's the way it is. And, and it, it's kind of, you know, every musician, you have an ego. I'd rather have the ghost make more money than my jingle. But if the jingle makes the money, makes it so I can buy another Moog. Fine. Right. You know, but but that's that's how it goes. But you have to be willing, and I think in this industry, at this point, is to is to be able to say, well, you know what? Maybe I'll do some sync licensing. Maybe I'll go do some podcasting. Maybe I'll go do some other thing. I'll produce somebody else's uh, project, or I'll pay baseline on this other project. And that's how you actually can can get to a point where you actually can make money because you open it up beyond your ego and you say, well, you know, I'll do something where nobody really knows I'm on this. Mm-hmm. But don't get paid, you know. And then you have your own project, and you're trying to do that. But it's like, if you want to work and make money, sometimes you got to be willing to kind of look at other things, you know, ways to do it. Totally feel that. Well, that's it's cool that I had you on the, on the prog- um, broadcast. And what we're what we usually do is, um, if you have other music that's going to come out, we will usually interview bands three or four times. A lot of bands we've talked to, we have been on the show three or four times. And we're going to put all the links. Your link tree is going to be on here. Uh, your Spotify link is on here. Your link tree is already on there, but we're putting your Spotify too. <laughs> we're part of Spotify. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is going to come out within an hour. And it's going to be on 11 platforms, including iTunes, Radio Public, Overcast. And we'll send you like the iTunes and the Anchor and the Spotify uh, link to this podcast. So we'll put this out, and we're glad that you were on uh, uh, Smith Music, and uh, we're really excited. Uh, we think people should go out and listen to Fractal Showers, and you have a lot of a lot of albums out there besides Fractal Showers. Everybody oh, yeah. look at your full catalog. Um, but after 15 releases and counting. Yeah, yeah. So you, <laughs> you don't want to look at my – I've got like <laughs> – you, you're doing really cool, but I've been so crazy. i got like 3,000 <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, dude, you need to send me some more of your, some of your stuff. 
Yeah, it's all over the place. You'll find it. Like, if you go out on Spotify and you go look, you'll find, like, you know, my last 60 songs. They're out there. Um, uh, any of the streaming services you're on, and my SoundCloud is full of songs. You know, you'll you'll see probably in the last year, I've got maybe two, 300 there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you links. But if you just go to Spotify or you go to – you go to um, uh, SoundCloud or any other streaming service that anybody has, you can get the ghost stuff out there. But um, yeah, we're glad that you came on the show. We think people should listen to your, all your music and and download it and buy it, you know, from iTunes and from all the other stores you can get it at if you're on the other services. Because um, artists need to have their their music supported. So instead of buying a video game, maybe buy 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 a Smith uh, record, please. The show record you support the artists you love that's how you support me you buy the record definitely thanks for being on the show. thanks for being on the show we uh we appreciate that you're an artist out there writing your own material we love that that's what we live for so thank you very much thank you bro